2: lord of the rings the rings of power season one episode five partings is over but we are just getting started here on PoSho show recaps hi everybody mike bloom here definitely not parting anytime soon from either this podcast all or this show as we are talking about episode five of the rings of power as we see things moving by land by sea Not really by air, though, I guess we'll see what happens with that mystery trio now that they're investigating the meteor. Lots of things happening in this week's episode of The Rings of Power. And I am joined by a panel this time for the first time in our coverage to break it down. First, let me bring in the constant in this equation, of course, the great DM Philly. Rich, how are you?
1: I am excellent. I'm so excited to be your constant, Mike. Uh, That's amazing. That's high praise. Uh, This is a great episode. I'm very excited. I'm very excited about our guest.
2: Yes, absolutely. And yeah, do not uh, tell anybody else that I podcast with that you're podcasting. We'll oh just keep God. keep the lines of communication. Okay, don't look at the Palantir and send this out to anybody. Uh, we're just going to keep it within our own sphere of influence. But yes, as Rich mentions, we are welcoming in a fantastic guest. Now, listen, if you've been listening to our fantasy coverage, especially in the Amazon Prime variety, she may be a familiar voice to you considering she joined Rich on the uh, Wheel of Time Book Club a podcast back last fall. But if you're a patron of Post Show Recaps, which you can definitely become a a member of at postshowrecaps.com slash patron, she's an incredibly familiar face, uh, whether talking about D&D, but perhaps most pertinently here, the Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power. So excited to welcome to the podcast, the fantastic Taylor Ball. Taylor, how are you?
3: I'm great. I'm so honored to be here. It has been lovely listening to you guys talk about the show, and I am very excited to talk about this episode. It was a good one.
2: It was a good one. Yeah. So I guess to start, I'm going to shine the spotlight on you, put our proverbial eyes onto you. I'd love to get your background on the works of J.R.R. Tolkien, the world of Middle Earth. What led you down this lovingly slippery slope that has you sitting in front of us today to talk about this prequel show?
3: Oh, my goodness. Well, it starts long, long ago before I was even a thought, uh, as a, as a young child, my parents uh, were very big Lord of the Rings fans. Um, my mom read the books while she was pregnant with me, and they very nearly named me Lothlorien. Whoa! Uh, Lori, for short, was the extent into which they thought about it. Um, but I started watching the Lord of the Rings movies when I was about seven years old. And from the minute that I got put in front of those movies, it was like, oh, okay, this is my personality now. (laughs) And that was really it, that like history has been written. I have a few Lord of the Rings tattoos. Um, It's just, it's my greatest love. And it set me on the path of loving fantasy and being the gigantic nerd that I am today.
2: And much like a Harfoot, you never strayed away from the path, even to this day. So that being said, I'm sure you felt a certain way upon hearing all the way back in 2017 that a Lord of the Rings series was being produced for Amazon. Talk to me about your expectations for this show and have they been met, exceeded, shot under the bar? Where do you sit at this moment with the series?
3: So when I heard the news about this show, I was very nervous. My first instinct was to be... in super nervous, super scared, uh, especially kind of Amazon being the one to tackle it. Um, but as we got sort of closer to the release date and the more trailers that were dropped, the more like pictures that we got, I couldn't help but get excited about it. And honestly, just right from the gate, I was my expectations were exceeded. I have been very happy so far with what the show has brought us. They are certainly like they're things that are being messed with but i personally have not found an issue and i'm really loving it
2: yeah rich uh whatever your thoughts been about sort of the second half second act perhaps disc two if we want to go back to the old lord of the rings dvd parlance of season one uh it seems like you enjoyed episode five any specifics you want to get into
1: Yeah. I love disc two. I love that we got to disc Mm -hmm. two of the season. That's really exciting. Um, Disc two was always like some of the best stuff. It was a really good episode. I think it had some of my favorite moments so far. Like we've invested so much. I think a lot of the discussion around the show is used the term slow burn, right? We're really like kind of slow rolling into these characters, um, spending a lot of time kind of saturating ourselves in middle earth and the environment of it all. And like just lingering in the space, getting a little bit of lore, but I feel like a lot of the relationships really crystallized in fun ways. A lot of people really emerged uh, very explicit ways, you know, and others like less so. Um, but it, it had some of my favorite moments so far, probably also at some of my least favorite moments so far. Uh, so maybe who is Sora? Maybe I will be on today. I am ready to. Yeah.
2: All right. A little bit of hot and cold. Uh, perhaps the ice is creeping up your arms as you speak, Rich, as you plunge your hands into these takes. <laughs> Taylor, thoughts about this particular week, how it compares to the previous episodes for you?
3: I think that with each episode there's kind of it just steps up a little bit but there were certainly some high moments like some super high moments in this episode and some low ones that kind of had me scratch my head a little bit so I think it fell somewhere on the the high to middle for me.
2: Yeah, for me, I think I was just so high on last week's episode that I think that mm-hmm. uniformity did take a bit of a step back for me. Uh, again, to go back to that that disc comparison, I felt like last week was the end of Disc One of Fellowship, right, where Pippin says, "All right, where are we going?" and then cut Mm -hmm. to, (laughs) but then the next week is spent them making all these preparations to then finally leave. Uh, I'll admit, at the end of episode 4, I thought, okay, the Numenoreans are going to sail off immediately to go to (laughs) Middle-Earth. Did not think we get an entire episode of them making preparations to go out to Middle-Earth, but I really can't quibble with it too much, because I think even if the whole, I felt, was not as incredibly strong as last week was, to, you know, co-op of both of you are saying, there are some scenes in there that I absolutely adored this week. Holbrand Galadriel stuff, I think, uh, is is burning hotter than uh, you know the the fires that he is smithing from at this moment. I think uh, the uh, the Elrond Doran stuff continues to be some of my favorite stuff going on in the show in general, and the the aesthetics continue to be absolutely gorgeous. There are so many fantastic things to pick out, and the, the music. Like this is the first mm-hmm. week for me that I think really made my ears perk up like an elves in so many ways and we're gonna get to it when we eventually get to like the the hardfoot stuff but god taylor i know i'm speaking for you that like i have already become obsessed with that poppy song uh it is just i'll i'll become maybe a bit brazen here this may be the most tolkien-esque thing from a tolkien adaptation past like the hobbit film since like 20 years ago back when the lord of the rings was being adapted
3: yeah i would say so (laughs)
1: Uh, yeah I mean music has this long And storied place in Tolkien You're reading through the books and you just hit These pages with these songs that are like Uh okay what's going on here uh, We recently rewatched All the animated Lord of the Rings mm-hmm. movies mm-hmm. Before the season dropped here And there's some absolute bops In there uh, I'm talking <laughs> about you Whip song like I'm fixated There's some very good stuff in those animated where films Where there's
3: a whip there's I'm, a way
1: Where there's a whip there's a way it's a jam Mike I'm telling you but I am <laughs> I am so out on the Harfoot song, you guys. I, like, so absolutely hated it so badly. I hated it. I hated it. I'm, like, going to be the bad guy. So it was stunning. Start your
2: march to the orcs already. I know. I I I feel like such a bad
1: guy. I want to love the Harfoots. I love the montage. It was stunning. But I even watched it twice, you guys, just to be like, am I just, like, is this the, like, music that I need to, like, listen, really let it worm its way in? I'm not sold. Wow,
2: is fascinating! Is, is, is there like me. a genesis element for you? Could you fixate on what exactly wasn't vibing with you there? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I think it's like uh, the, just the whole tone. It just took me so out of it. It was very long. Let me say that. If we like uh, sh- like trimmed it down a little bit, I might have dug it more. I love. There loved was what a radio did...
2: cut of wander, yeah. or wander, <laughs> no one for real, lost, whatever. I
1: needed like the thirty second wand off edit. Mike is what I was looking for. I love the map travel. I love the montage. Mm-hmm. I love everything they did with the scene but the song just didn't work for me it might have been a little too on the nose as well not all who wander are lost I mean I love me some Led Zeppelin uh you can like quote (laughs) J.R. Tolkien in your lyrics and generally I'm a sucker for that battle forevermore um but it just didn't work it just didn't work for me I'm sorry I'm sorry I'll hide in the darkness away (laughs) from the light
3: oh my goodness so I think that one of the notable things so about the song like the the lyrics specifically obviously like yeah we do have the callbacks to like the all those not all those who wander are lost and like deep roots are not are deep roots are not reached by the frost we have like a lot of callbacks to that but also like the language like we're clearly like this is clearly elven in origin which i think is an interesting thing to think about when you Mm. really pick apart the lyrics um but i'm so sad rich I thought you would very much enjoy listen, this little song.
2: To each their own. Rich is now gonna for put sure. his hood up like that mysterious character <laughs> that we finally saw and just like <laughs> skulk in the background for the rest of this podcast. Cause yeah, listen, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep some praise onto it because this <laughs> to me is like the works of J.R.R. Tolkien that I fell in mm-hmm. love with, right? This idea of the grand adventuring and that's, you know, the the music in particular used in like the Rankin and Bass uh, Hobbit stuff is really what comes to my grave adventure. That's the really tone that I got <laughs> mm-hmm. of, you know, those that wander and wander are not lost. And I think it's, it's a fitting lyric as well, right? Considering that there are so many, even outside of the nomadic Harfoots, everyone seems to be on the move in some way, shape or form. And it's this idea, especially going back to like the Galadriel storyline of it all that we'll get into of just because you may be far from home does not necessarily mean that you are without guidance. In fact, that may also fill you with more of a sense of guidance because you know, the compass that will point you back to where you need to go. And so I just thought, it was, I, I personally thought it was a really brilliant way to, to start off the episode between like the folksy quality of the music that harkened back to me again, some of the best adaptation of this text, the thematic quality therein, even outside of music, like you mentioned, the montage and the use of the map always love the map shout out to Marissa Garza there uh, map. I, yeah yeah I, map. I think I, I just think it was a really fun way to again cover many tracks that the hardfoots were, were carrying out we'll, we'll talk about the hardfoots on their own later on but I feel like that's probably a good uh, point to underline considering that it only was the way that uh, the episode started off I think for some of us it might have been our favorite parts for one of us perhaps one of our least favorite parts of the episode <laughs> oh. so good to get out up front
1: I feel so bad about saying it. Uh, I love a lot of the Lord of the Rings music and I loved even coming up on the songs and the books. I remember reading them the first pass at like 11 years old and it not like jiving with me, right? But coming back to them years and years later and I think that in the context of like when you're looking at the lyrics on the page, you can really like analyze them. I'm, I'm a book nerd, right? I like uh, information present t- presented to me that way. Uh, there just was something that didn't work. It's my least favorite of the Lord of the Rings songs. So far, I think it's gotta be. Uh make oh. turn around on it. I'll try again. I'll try again, you guys. Even, I'm sorry. even
2: worse than the Ed Sheeran end credits song from um, the destination of Mouse.
1: Oh my god, I didn't even know that existed. I take it what? all
2: back oh my I goodness. recount my commentary. Yes, yeah, so that's the thing for me. It's like, well, listen, it could be worse. It could be that. Yep. Uh well, yep. let's let's change our tune quite literally. And I wanna silo things as we usually do, and let's start where we have been the past few episodes since we've gotten there. Let's start with Numenor. Lots of things happening in Numenor. Taylor, from just a general perspective, what have your thoughts been about the way they have been portraying Numenor and all the politics they're in?
3: I've been really enjoying it. As a person who um, sometimes struggles with the politics of fictional worlds, um, I've really been enjoying Numenor in, in a way that I didn't expect. Because when I came into the show, I... For some reason, my my brain was just so, like, don't have expectations that I really didn't have any. And I came in, I was like, oh, my gosh, we're seeing Numenor. Like, of course, we were going to see Numenor, but my brain just didn't connect it. So seeing all of it, seeing the Muriel and her dad and farazon it's been so interesting. And I've been really invested in it more than I expected to be.
2: An interesting I wouldn't say change in character, but Rich, to a point you brought out before, I think several people came to the forefront in this episode for one reason or another. Isildur is going to have an interesting role in this episode. And I'm not going to say this was the most likable he's looked um uh, mm-hmm. this entire series. He kind of was like a little shit in this episode, uh, consistently asking like, get me on the boat. I have this higher purpose when he really doesn't have a resume. He just got him and all his friends dismissed uh, from, from the sea council, which will then, you know, lead him throughout. And we can sort of, I guess, sum up this storyline. Cause I feel like it's fairly separated from, you know, everything else going on. He's going to go to Ellen Deal initially, ask for a role in uh, the upcoming flotilla that's going to go to Middle-earth. Of course, uh, Elendil is unhappy with what happened um, with him recently, and will say no, essentially saying, like, uh, you feign fidelity to the island. All these guys, they're not jumping the queue. They've served their time. You really haven't. So Isildur's second strategy is to go to the two friends who he accidentally got fired from (laughs) the, the sea cadets and tries to bargain with them, essentially saying, like, yeah, you can rough me up a couple times if you need to, if you let me in, of course. That doesn't end up happening. Uh, And so it ends up almost happening by pure coincidence and one act of heroism, where frickin' Kemen, who we'll talk about later, uh, he ends up essentially catching him mid-arson, allows the arson to sort of happen, but ends up saving Kemen's life. And as a result, it's that one act of bravery to get him at least shoveling some horse crap, Rich, on the boat to Middle-earth. But it's on the boat nonetheless.
1: Uh rings of power is not doing Isildur any favors you guys I mean Isildur didn't have the greatest reputation coming into the modern age to begin with but really he just like kind of dropped the ball at one critical moment given what we know so far right like everything he did up until that point seemed pretty useful the whole like cutting the ring off the dark lord's hand we love that we're stand for that but they are not depicting young Isildur well here this guy is like so rough dad can you please cut me in front of the line i mean literally that's like a (laughs) bad look isildur i've honestly been very engaged with this story so far and intrigued about how they were going to play it out i loved this tease of like i i love a good doomed hero right Mm -hmm. i love a a tragic figure like this um and isildur is doomed we know this already we we know the the conclusion of his fate and it will end up quite tragic uh so I don't know that they need to go out of their way this hard to convince me like what a jerk he was before all of that goes down. Right. It really is like resonating so hard. Um, and I do love the dynamics of the characters around him. Right. I think he's proving like an agent of activity. He's like an excellent foil for these other people to be like, God, we want you to be better. Like step up. Right. Everything that Alan Dill is saying to him while you're uh, failing in fidelity to the traditions of the island, these men are living them and his friends like, man, we want to believe in you, but we don't yet. You know, And it is one buddy of like, I hope someday you find everything you're willing to sacrifice everything for <laughs> was a little like, OK, um, but gosh, Isildur, man.
2: Taylor, give me all your thoughts about <laughs> what we've seen of Isildur, especially given this episode
3: so i've i'm kind of on the same page with rich like i've been like pretty interested in his story but i i it is it does feel heavy-handed but <laughs> like this guy sucks mm-hmm. and he's gonna be the one that's gonna essentially like you know <laughs> he's gonna cut the ring off the finger but he's gonna keep the ring and yeah. be not a great guy <laughs> he and <laughs> and remember
2: he does not cast it into the fire <laughs> no
3: mm-hmm. um and i did you mentioned the line rich but uh I hope someday you find something you'd be willing to sacrifice everything for. Like, we know what that is and it's a long way down the line and it's not a good reason. <laughs> um, it's not
1: Barrick the horse. It's know, not Derek,
3: the horse. Um, so yeah, I've been intrigued. The thing that got me this episode was been talking about the people around him was his sister um, and Kemen, which was like that storyline was a, l- a little bit low on the scale for me.
2: Oh, listen. Yeah. it's sealed door. Is like uh, a freaking saint compared to this little asshole <laughs> Kemen. <laughs> it was like again, he just pops up in the last episode, like doo 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 doo. Yeah, I guess I'm at the right hand of Farazon. and here's Iorian, who I guess was opposed to this. Again, we sort of just just got her perspective. I mean, I guess she just found out at the end of last episode, but she is opposed uh, to the efforts to to sail to Middle Earth, and so she essentially tries to get Kemen to talk to Farazon about it and again listen my eye is still on Farazan. now Mm -hmm. that Muriel and everyone have sailed I still think he's going to attempt some sort of coup or something when the cats are away but in this moment at least whether it's his disdain for Kemen or his general belief in this idea he is going to sort of vocalize at least before that ship blows up right this idea of well if we go help the Southlanders they will technically owe us one and that gives us stakes on land as well as at sea. Rich, did you have any thoughts about this whole on Kemen perspective, assuming that we're going to stay on them uh, and them sort of taking the reins of the city with Muriel gone?
1: Yeah, uh, just to like stop in on the Aryan uh, of it all, right? Isildur's sister, I do think it's interesting for us. We talked about it last week, like having somebody that's going to be kind of like rooted in Numenor to like keep a perspective there for us. And somebody that is, I mean, it, I buy it. It seems like an out of nowhere decision, but she did just find out the announcement went out and like, yeah, she doesn't want her father and her brother to like sail off to war, right? Mm-hmm. On at a distant land. Like, it's relatable on that level. To the Pharazon and Kemet of it all, I love this as Farazan is like, sometimes the folly of youth is enough to make an old man weep, you know, <laughs> because he does have grand designs and I don't think that they're necessarily altruistic charitable, but they're not so overtly nefarious. Right. It seems like, look, what he wants is to like expand the empire. He wants to like assert the supremacy of men, like their holds away on this Island. And it, it seems that his isolationist outlook of like, we need to cut ourselves off from the is to create this really strong like sense of state or whatever which is kind of scary to talk about in the modern age and and really like rise up this belief in like Numenor and what it is and expanding the borders I mean what he says to his son here apparently it seems like Kemen confirmed as Farazhan's child Mm -hmm. he's just like the low we're about to go save the lower men of Middle Earth like there is this hubris and arrogance that she's just stealing in dripping off of them right and he's like there's money in them their hills there's gold in them their hills my son let us get the ore and the trade and the goods and build ourselves up and let the elves kneel to us and i really buy it on that level like i love this this is such
2: like translatable
1: politics it's easy to understand in this very weird mystical world with magic ore, and elves and dwarves right
2: yeah, Taylor, I think he, he vocalized it in a really interesting way when analogizing this idea of the current, right? And it's, if you spend an effort kicking against the current, you're only going to get tired and swept out to sea. It's more so about not necessarily going with the current, but like utilizing it to your own will uh, to essentially look at where things are going. And the trick to mastering it is to see which way it will turn next, which again, to me, isn't very much go with the flow. It's more so plot what's ahead and then plan yourself accordingly.
3: Yeah, 100%. Farazan is very intriguing to me. As soon as we saw him, and the little bit that I know of his lore in universe is I'm very intrigued to see kind of how they're going to play this out. Um, And I really enjoy his scheming because like you were saying, Rich, it does seem like He's it's not nefarious. He wants the best for his people. And but there is this very like clearly deep-seated hubris and this maybe overconfidence, but I guess we'll see.
2: Speaking of hubris, I want to take this time as well as we're dotting around Numenor to highlight again a truly fantastic scene from this episode. Galadriel is uh, enlisted to train some of these Numenorians to take down the orcs and it leads to maybe my favorite fight scene in the series so far as she just dismantles four or five cocky Numenorians at once. Taylor, give me your thoughts on all the work Morford Clark was doing with the swords in this scene.
3: Uh yeah, perfection. I was like just entranced uh her the movements as well as the music of this Mm. scene was stunning um I believe it's called like violin and swords and that's exactly what it is right it's violence and swords (laughs) (laughs) but but it was beautiful I thought that it was so well done and I love the little like I love Elendil so much and his little like humor like Mm -hmm. that's kind of like sprinkled in places I think is really lovely um and yeah so we get a valentiel is that his name um isildur's friend here uh like you know stepping up thinking that he can do anything and it's just from the second that it starts it's just i loved it so much
2: Oh, yeah. Rich, I haven't checked the uh, internet comments, but I'm sure a certain subsection is uh, throwing up angry Cap's words in response to Galadriel being able to fend off all these men with one single sword.
1: I mean, that is not the echo chamber I've cultivated for myself, Mike, so thank the <laughs> gods for that. I will thank the Valar. Uh, look, this is a thousands of year old elf, like, taunting yeah. these teenagers with their little shiny swords, you know? First of all, let me just note, sparring swords? Anyone? No? We're just gonna draw blood? Going okay. For- yeah. Let's do it. I, you know, the risk of having Taylor on here, Mike, is that we're very similar and have a lot of similar outlooks. So I'm glad I feel so strongly about the Harfoot song. But the music was like so stunning to me. Mm -hmm. I had written down here like violins, giant question mark. And like, yeah, violins and swords. Excellent. Uh, Her movement, Moiford Clark, I've like gushed about how magnificent I think her performance is so far. But there is this muted exuberance that she carries with. Yes. Her in like every bit of what she's doing and only when she's fighting do I feel like she's truly like opens that up and like steps down on that pedal pushes that lever up to 11 and I'm so smitten with it so the real question is like am I more in love with Galadriel or Elendil because between the two of them like I don't know what to do with myself these are such characters catering to me and Elendil's kind of like uh, 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 uh like Tolkienized dad humor is magnificent <laughs> <laughs> you know what i mean it's just so good and like the galadriel rules of combat as we dance through this thing right don't plant roots keep moving never trust brute force the best at orc it's often easiest to outmaneuver them it's just like the delivery is so excellent uh her like facial expressions we get that one shot overhead while she like bends down backwards yes. the limbo yes. dodge with like matrix smile on her face i mean yep. i love this so very much and the fact that she gives them the Arya stark advice of like i'm just gonna give it to you guys straightforward stick them with the pointy end that's how you kill the orcs i love it i love it mike i'm out of my mind
2: yeah you really uh, pointed yourself in on a, a really fantastic uh, point for lack of a better term which is i she was so playful in mm-hmm. this scene which is an element that i feel like i don't want to say missing because i think given the circumstances which she'll remind us of in this episode she has every reason to be serious and to be sad and to be angry considering what she has to prospectively face down and who she's fighting for. So it was really nice to see her for lack of a better term, let her hair down and be able mm-hmm. to just be like, okay, these racist ass men, like, let me, let me show them what I'm truly capable of. And she absolutely showed out. And I think it was this idea of because she was having so much fun we were having so much fun at the same time. And you could tell the Numenoreans were as well. It became a bit of an attraction of like, look, the elf is uh, taking on four men at once. And it's also a nice reminder after a couple of episodes in Numenor, right? Where Galadriel has been a bit uh, handcuffed and not able to necessarily show up the skills that she did in that opening montage in episode one, that she's still got it. Uh, not only does she have it, she's willing to pass that on to others, but She still is backed up into a corner a bit from a political perspective. She did sort of promise Muriel that Holbrand would definitely be on board the ship because we got to bring the king back to rally all of his men together. But Rich, as we sort of surmised last time by that final sequence, Holbrand doesn't want to go anywhere anytime soon.
1: No, Halbrand does not want this. It's so interesting, right, to the uh, Aragorn Strider comparisons of it all, the way that he's, like, fleeing this destiny and the whole scene that Galadriel has with Muriel where they're kind of, like, talking about his reluctance as he's summoned in. First of all, just the sets there were, like, riveting, right? Mm -hmm. The candles on the walls were, like, overwhelming, so stunning, and everything with Halbrand is really great. Um, You talked about it, Mike, but the scene that the two of them share together, right? We get a lot of, like, cool little brand moments as we stop in with him my one nitpick is he forges that sword and it's awesome but they don't just come out of the fire with all that finish work on there you got to do that with like acid well after that i was like man come on i was like did he have
2: gold leaf handy how was he able to make those finishing qualities so easy after pulling them out of the fire
1: He's just that good, right? Um, and then the Halbrand Galadriel stuff is so incredibly compelling as we circle back of like, you know, sometimes to truly know the light, you have to touch the darkness. And his challenge to her of like, what do you truly know about that? The weight of all that she's had. But I am so won over by Halbrand, by this push that he's got, this reluctance that he has, and this guilt that he has. I mean, he tells us explicitly this time, where she's like, it's not you that fought with them. It's your ancestors, like get over it, which is the Aragorn plight, right? Mm-hmm. It's not you that failed, it's your ancestor. But Halbrand is literally, if we're paying attention, saying like, no, no, it actually was me. It was definitely me. You have no idea what I did before I got on that raft, what all of this had to do. And it's echoed so well by all the nonsense we're getting with, uh, you know, topless barkeep Waldred mm-hmm. and everything that's happening in the Southlands. Uh, it's great. I'm really in love with Halbrand as well mm-hmm. as everybody else in the show. It's quite good.
2: Yeah, Taylor, give me your thoughts on Hallbrand because you talk about like trying to take your own roots, Even if Galadriel tells you not to within the source material, this is a brand new character as far as we know. What's been your thoughts on the approach to him?
3: So I've been loving it, this kind of like parallel to Aragorn, right? But instead of, you know, being descended from (laughs) the line of Numenor, we're coming from the Southlands and we're coming from the humans that, themselves to Morgoth, and it is really interesting, especially seeing him forging things, uh, and being having this sort of skill. Um, we keep hearing the name, uh, Aule, um, Mm -hmm. who notably is one of these sort of godlike beings, uh, who created dwarves and was kind of the god of creation, and um, it's really interesting i feel like the the moments where we see creation happening are very important and i'm loving all the halbrand stuff i'm really intrigued by his character and i'm so interested to see where it goes but you you both said it like the moments with galadriel and halbrand and that sort of talk the uh, you're you're not you're um you're a sealed door's heir not a sealed door himself. like we got that moment. um I think it's I think it's great. I'm so intrigued.
1: I really love the back and forth Mike at the end yeah. of the throne room where she's just like you know he's like you used me and she's like well you gave me up Like, you and, 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 also, and,
2: and also theoretically I'm bringing you back to your kingdom to put you on the throne They could say you're using me from a certain <laughs> perspective so yeah.
1: good right the maneuvering there is like so good that like she's not the savvy political maneuver we already established last episode was like a big beat but here she is she's got him like right where she wants him and it's such a move right I, I'm just I'm floored by it and again to the smithing of it all uh one of the big aragorn things and the whole prophecy of the return of the king the hands of the king will be hands of a healer and Mm -hmm. i just think this translation of like a king with like these practical skills right that actually can like create can craft can do can help the people in a very tangible way right like this is not a king with soft hands uh, i think is an important notion that has really enchanted me right
2: Hard hands and hard feet, considering that badass move he did after Galadriel, (laughs) right, where he kicks the sword up uh, into his hands. So before we get into more Galadriel, Hallbrand stuff, I want to stop briefly into probably the very musty chambers of tar the former king of Numenor, because he has a rare lucid moment here, Taylor. Uh, Muriel Mm -hmm. is going to go to his chambers. He is going to recognize her, and he's going to outright tell her, don't go to Middle-earth. All there is is darkness. What do we make of this? Was this something you think he saw in the Palantir? Something that's that's coming ahead for them?
3: Yes, yeah, for sure. I mean, given the name, given that we saw one of the Palantir last time and what we saw in the Palantir, um, yeah, I think that this old king is like, um, you know, uh, one of like Elrond's lines from the movies or- what Arwen says to him, his daughter is that he has the gift of foresight
2: mm-hmm. and
3: these people are the descendants of Elrond's brother. And I think that he, all he sees there is darkness. And I think he sees that for a reason.
1: I think it's a great point. I mean, we saw Muriel's dream opening episode four, right? Mm-hmm. This notion of the gift of foresight, the man's name, Tar Palantir. Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, I mean, it, that's kind of a great to begin with. I just the humanity of the moment. It's such a small scene, right? But that like lucidity as he has this moment and she is about to leave and is saying this like parting, presumably like for the last time, it's not deeply likely that this man will be alive. If she returns, should she return? So there's like this emotional weight to the whole scene that is very, easy for us to connect with right as humans that that can like relate to this kind of experience so much and the idea that like this moment of lucidity is to be like actually this plan is terrible and and all of everything we know about their relationship so far right that he's been ostracized pushed to the side because of his beliefs she in the 11th hour is going to like turn to kind of his way of thinking go to like reunite the elves she wants to give him this last great message and like part on a good foot and actually he's like oh you're doomed it's so heavy it is so heavy michael stepping out of this room
2: and but what's interesting though is i definitely left that scene being like oh, she is not going. Right, And especially after the boat blew up, I'm like, oh yeah, she's definitely going to pull out. Galadriel might be able to like get Elendil and a few people with her, but surely not the big ceremony that we thought we'd see. No, 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 we're still getting that. But you have to wonder, Taylor, if this is something that's going to be in the back of Muriel's head, if this is not a future she necessarily foresaw, but was foretold, and if she sees any hint of it play out, it might be an excuse to hightail it and head back to Numenor.
3: Yeah, 100%. I think that Muriel is going to be haunted by this for sure considering the relationships that she had with him beforehand. Um and I I do think that it's interesting the relationships between parent and child that we're seeing kind of across the show. Mm-hmm. Um like with Muriel and Tar Palantir, and then like we have the Elendil and Isildur of it all and then we have like Durin and Durin, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> but it's um it's really interesting but i do think that poor muriel is gonna be is gonna be haunted by this and i don't know we'll see what happens i guess
1: we took it all we brought them to our land an endless night ember hot and icy cold the rage of the earth we made this curse carved it in the blood on our backs We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I
3: become?
0: Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass.
3: With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
0: Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom?
3: Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time.
1: No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry.
0: We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.
2: Well, it gives her enough pause, at least in the moment, uh, and especially from Farazon's perspective, right, where he comes in realizing... Okay, even though you gave that really fun, rousing speech at the end of the last episode, we may not have completely 100% support. So things are, are starting to fray a little bit. But Galadriel, as long as she gets Hallbrand, it'll be totally fine. That'll be sort of like the the, the big hook at the last second. So it's going to cause her to visit him, and it's going to lead to, as we talked about before, this incredibly climactic, incredibly important scene that, that I want to break down. I want to start before with uh, a rich that you were uh, with, of the moment rich that you were mentioning this thing that Hallbrand sort of reflects on right you don't know what i did before i ended up on that raft you don't know how i survived and you mentioned that it is then supplemented by shots of all of these defectors right from the southlands joining up with the orcs and adar so are we to assume that he had done a similar thing is it that he had committed a bunch of brutality against Orcs, how are we supposed to mean to connect the quote-unquote bad things, unforgivable things for his people that he did prior to getting on that raft?
1: I'm, like, so curious, right? Because this is one of these things where we can have a character that has this kind of self-loathing at their moment of weakness that is so disproportionate to whatever the actual act was, right? Like, for all we know, he just fled, right? He fled. He might have, like, taken his symbol of, of authority here, his little neck pouch of leadership, and dipped out and made for the raft, right? And that abandoning of his people might be enough that it is tormenting him that he did this. But he's making it sound as though he participated in some violence right with this army yeah. of works and, and, and presi- considering
2: what we've seen him do to some of those uh you know guild people a couple episodes ago he's certainly capable of it
1: oh yeah dude is capable we saw his sword handling skills at apprentices smith not often like that and i mean gladriel knows like three thousand year old apprentice smiths if they don't know how to handle a sword that's really shameful but i do think that there we can my read i should say is that we when we get him on the raft it's this notion of like the Southlands are burning right and and i think that the turn is just as simple as like yeah i wasn't the victim i didn't desert that battle after like my city was destroyed or my my village was burned i deserted after i burned somebody's village after i destroyed somebody's city right um and we can imagine a lot of ways there's a lot of stuff in the lord of the rings even sam and frodo kind of sneaking through the orc armies right um of this man like getting out, I could almost like see it in a flashback. I hope we get some clarity here, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, by the end of the season, too. I hope that this is not like this enigmatic thing of like,
2: you hope, there's not, called past. What, you hope there's not an episode called What Halbrand Did coming up in season two
1: precisely that's what i'm looking for right um it, it i'm really curious to see how much clarity we get and i'm so intrigued about what it was that he actually did like are there other humans running with these orcs are they just all dead or eddie i i'm just i really wonder
2: taylor you told us before coming on here that you were doing some theory mongering uh, your own smithing i suppose this time with the words before coming on did any thoughts about halbrand end up amongst those theories
3: yeah absolutely so um later in this episode we see a symbol um in austere in this tower and if i'm not mistaken it is the same symbol that halbrand carries with him which of course like like. yes so it seems to me that certainly there is obviously like some connection between halbrand and adar maybe maybe directly i don't know but um the other thing that was kind of piquing my interest that I was really digging into, um, which I imagine we'll get into a little bit later, is these three figures that we saw in mm-hmm. the beginning. So I think there might be some ties there, but I'm, again, I I'm I've been deep in my theory crafting, so I could be blinded by uh by the the light here, but
2: much like the orcs yeah i i I am definitely skewing in your direction at the moment i'm trying to think to your point rich like what would make him so ashamed to feel like he could never return Mm -hmm. and i certainly think him being a bit of a race traitor for lack of a better term and joining up with orcs to kill men in the southlands would probably qualify for that considering that would be like direct spilling blood of his own people uh and this idea of just put your head down do what you need to do. I mean, that's something that Bronwyn's going to put forward later in this episode, right? Like, what other choice do I have? I would imagine that maybe there was a, a time where Hallbrand had a similar idea and just thought, like, okay, I guess I have to do this stuff. As, you know, Adar is going to say, blood is going to be the the ultimate form of loyalty. And so I, I that's the darkest route that I'm going. I, I hope it's not that terrible, uh, but listen, it, it's, it was something to self-exile himself onto a raft. So, uh, you never know.
1: It raises a good question, right? Because it's like the reverse Jamie Lannistering of like we've met this guy, we kind of like him. He's won us over. He's got great chemistry with Galadriel, right? Uh, we we we're into him, and he keeps telling us like I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy of your love, you know. But we're like, no, no, we love you, man. So <laughs> uh, what can they reveal that would turn us if we do find out that he like marched alongside orcs and like or- orcs and put the sword to his fellow men? Like, do does he lose us? Can he lose us along the way? It's a really like interesting thought as a viewer to me but i do think you're pointing out great stuff and we'll talk about it later when we get to austria but everything with bronwyn and with waldred echoes so much of what we're getting out of out of Hallbrand here um i i love you know the other half of the conversation that oh, the two yeah other half which is galadriel's like side of things in this back and forth but yeah i'm really intrigued about what Hallbrand did
3: so i will say now that just just now that i'm thinking about it we saw Halbrand like forging a sword in this episode, mm-hmm. and the sword itself, the hilt that we have that Theo has, is a very significant portion of this symbol. Mm-hmm. I wonder if Halbrand had a hand in creating this sword.
2: Interesting. Maybe. Was, was he the uh, the Kelebrimbor for this sword, essentially, someone who created it? That'd be. I mean, if he literally lent a hand in creating this big, powerful weapon that Adar is now seeking out. Yeah, that'd be very intriguing. Uh, I like that idea. Put a pin in that. I, I do want to go back to the Galadriel side of this conversation because I agree with Rich in that it is so very rich. Uh, even just the line right up, one cannot satisfy thirst by drinking seawater. The literal oh, salt yeah. <laughs> of this idea where Holbrin essentially accuses her, right, of, oh, so you just want to go back to Middle Earth to get your vengeance on what happened to your brother. And while she does deny it initially, hence the quote I just said, she does admit to what her Ahab-like quest made her become. You know, this is when she she reveals everything that happened to her in episode one that we covered—that her company mutinied on her, that her apparent closest friend in Elrond essentially like sold her off to Gilgalad to get shipped back west to get out of uh, his hair—and essentially she feels incredibly alone, and it's something that she can't stop doing. And the saddest part is this idea of they can no longer distinguish me from the evil I was fighting, which just has to be so hard-hitting, right, Taylor, for someone that's like, there's an an unmistakable evil out there that I need to fight tooth and nail to prevent from, you know, taking root once more. If your closest confidants are equating you with that evil, oof, that is a long way to fall.
3: Yeah, gosh, this, like, this kind of, like, outpouring from Galadriel, like, clearly, like, she's... She's incredibly strong. She's thousands of years old and has been through battles and wars and the moving, you know, to Middle-earth and all of these things, and she's finally, like, saying these things that have hurt her, like, losing her, like, or feeling that loss of her best friend, her high king, like, everybody abandoning her, even though clearly they know that sauron is a problem and that there is corruption and still sending her away um like it it hurts and it hits hard and i i loved that we did actually like get this moment from her though because it Mm -hmm. is it's so relatable and you can empathize with her here but yeah
1: i've been talking about it all along like but the writing like there's so many Mm. things the lines that get dropped in this show that i just go to google and i'm like tolkien quotes because i know that they're not straight out of the lord of the rings but tolkien wrote a lot of stuff uh, just like letters and essays and all kinds of things and he's got these great little pearls of wisdom that he drops all over the place and some of them are so like that like the you know you can't quench thirst with seawater was (laughs) one of those right but but the whole recalling back to uh, this episode one galadriel reckoning with her brother uh sometimes we, we need to like touch the darkness to mm-hmm. find the light mm-hmm. i think they're really doing an excellent job resonating on that theme as we go and then just like the cadence of the conversation between them right as he's like pushing her and pushing her and she's like but but why can't you stop fighting because i can't i can't stop right uh it, she she this is all she knows and it, and it echoes what we're talking about with this like release she has she can only really be her true self when she's like in the throes of this that she can like let her guard down a little bit right uh just everything that she's talking about with him right like i've fought centuries to find peace there's no lasting peace here for you or for me or for any of them the only peace that we can be had is across the sea i fought centuries for mine this is how you earn yours like you have this conflict you have this guilt you have this uh turmoil in your heart then like stand rise like you have to rise to the occasion it is now right and and to the point of what taylor's saying like my god i think it's a quiet like pivot but the fact that we get like confirmed that like just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not out to get you right Mm -hmm. that like she's right that like they know she's right it's not just that she can see a thing they can't see the king actively knows what she knows more maybe even and it's like yeah. god we gotta get this out of here
2: you know <laughs>
1: um, out of sight out of mind it's excellent mike superb
2: yeah i really like the point that she she hooked it in with right this idea of you and i both know that the end to our stories is not found in numenor that we can't just spend the rest of our days smithing and hanging out with muriel until the end of time we both have a purpose that at this point you are shirking and I'm actively trying to pursue. And it really does stick in, on uh, Halbrand's head where we get the shot the next day, he gets summoned to the council. He grabs his little sigil and sort of off screen. We assume that he was able to then say, yep. A okay. Let's do it. Uh, because we get this really resplendent cut to of him sitting on a horse in armor, a very different looking Halbrand from anything we have seen in the show proper and it leads to just this absolutely fantastic sequence right of the entire parade to see everybody off Yarian makes eyes at Isildur being like wait oh wait you're going to oh man uh, and then they you know Hallbrand and Galadriel do the fantastic you know Predator-esque handshake to each other when they get on board they sail off for Middle-earth and god I mean, I'm so glad from an aesthetic perspective, they did it in the morning because the sunrise (laughs) resting over Numenor as these ships take wing in a manner of speaking was God. I mean, I I really hope we continue to spend time here in, in Numenor just because like I need to keep looking at it. It is so, so gorgeous at every single scene we spend in there. I'm
1: floored by it. I can't get enough of Numenor. Yeah. Uh, the Numenor storylines, the Elven storylines, I'm like so sold on these, but it's such a lavish space. I mean, this is like the epic shit that I'm here for, Mike, if I can. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like the, you know, this moment of all of them on the boats. I really adore Galadriel walking past all these like teenage. Like, <laughs> Oh, you know, um, I, it's like, there's so much to all of this. Um, like Isildur being like, yeah, you're with the horses. Get a broom. You know, you're stable sweep. <laughs> All these, like, little beats are just so cool. And I can't wait to, like, see these ships make landfall and, and track the Numenorian's journey. Uh, but I do think we have enough here. Before we depart, I do think it's worth circling back around. Like, you had called it heroism before, of, of Isildur's moment that gets him into this horse sweep position. But I think there's a little side of treason there because, like, didn't this kid, Kevin like, totally destroy military vessels? And Isselzer is totally covering for him. Like, oh, my God. Like, we're worried about Farazan. I think maybe we should be worried about Kemen, uh like, staying behind. I don't know what you're now, thinking,
2: I, th- I think, Kevin, if he tries to, like, stab the king in the back, he's going to fall down the stairs and poke himself in the eye. Like, this guy's such a doof. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's fine he ends up accidentally lighting the boat on fire after he catches a sealed door sleeping when he was trying to kind of start the fire in the first place uh yeah it was i wouldn't even say heroism it was more of a quid pro quo yeah, he, guess, and, and yeah. kevin i think understood i don't know if it was like they had a chat while he they were swing back or anything but it's like hey listen uh i'm not gonna say that you burned down an entire military vessel but you can then vouch for me and get me a spot aboard which yeah to rich's point taylor may not be like the most altruistic way to get in the line of duty but it's a win for him i guess at the end of the day
3: yeah i guess i mean he kudos to him for figuring out how to turn stowing away on a ship into like just earning a spot on (laughs) by by saving kevin from these burning ships um i also love that they come to the conclusion that it was like Brigands sailing yeah. past <laughs> like,
2: oh, brigands. Like a... <laughs> the seemingly impregnable island of Numenor. All the passerbys <laughs> that just always glance upon the harbors and sail in and blow up their ships on a on a passerby. Yeah,
3: <laughs> but, but these two boys are just like, you know, they're they're such interesting. I, I don't even know if they're parallels, but they have such interesting like lines that they're and paths that they're traveling, and that they come. Together and end up blowing up a ship. Like, yeah, okay, <laughs> this, this makes sense.
1: My one big question is at the end of this: is is Queen Muriel gonna come back to Numenor and like walk back into the palace and be like, "Come in"? We're uh, we gonna get that scene. Is that, is that I mean, it?
2: that's a great implication to feel like Muriel survives uh, and is able to come back to Numenor. The first I know I so I she know, can have her I Catherine O'Hara this. moment of, uh, "Oh my god." <laughs> <laughs> I made my kingdom disappear. <laughs> well, let's get let's get to the land of Middle Earth now that we've been uh, in the sea, even though it is always right for so long. And I'd say the the story that got the second most amount of time was in Linden, Right, Durin mentioned this at the end of last episode that he was going to go over with Elrond to sit down with Gilgalad at perhaps a grave robbed table uh, to talk through exactly what's been going on. Before we get into that particular storyline, Taylor, give me your thoughts on this version of Elrond in particular.
3: So this was something that I was really nervous about, was, was kind of Galadriel and Elrond. I felt like a little bit better about Galadriel when I saw the promo shots. And we were, we've were been talking about it, but her performance is stunning. And I love these moments that we get with her, like with the wide eyes when she's like really feeling like her emotions. And it just brings me back to Galadriel in the movies when she's like talking to Frodo and we get the, like, you know, uh, mm. all shall love me and despair Galadriel. <laughs> um, but Elrond, I'm, I'm loving him. And I, Again, did not really expect to. I was a little bit concerned. The, but the tragedy though, Rich, you were saying it last week about Elrond doesn't leave Middle Earth a happy person. Nah, <laughs> so I'm. It's kind of nice to see him in this stage where he is hopeful and he has this friendship with Durin, which is just, oh my gosh, mm. it's just perfection. This relationship that they have. Um, and hearing about his father, about, like, Erendil and um, just all the little tidbits that we're getting from him and his, like, uh, the lore that he knows about Middle-earth specifically, I love because I'm such a big lore person, but I love it.
2: Yeah. Rich, headline, I think, unfortunately for your sake, uh, when it comes to maybe other characters of lore being represented Gilgalad kind of sucks in this oh, series dude. Yeah. it's breaking my heart mike <laughs> it's breaking
1: uh. my heart
2: <laughs> yeah it's, it's rough yeah. uh so initially like he does banter a bit back and forth with durin but like really the leading indicator should be durin's revelation that probably on his own word these elves plundered some sort of dwarven tomb to make the rock to make this table that they're eating at
1: uh, so this is all like the stuff that's sometimes tough for me. I love these scenes, and there's some of it. It's very funny because there's like some irreverence here. Duran's got like maybe the best line of the episode, right? Of like, it takes you you two weeks to take show. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> I, and like. It's so the antithesis of Tolkien-esque writing. But, like, I'm here for it. That's very funny to me. Like, the dwarves being irreverent in this high-functioning place. But um, as we get this moment, like, there is this storied history between the elves and the dwarves. And the idea that, like... I thought Durin's leading up of like, where'd you get the table? It's so rare. It's so specific. We only give it for the most treasured things, which means it must've been like the highest of honors of a gift that we gave this to you. But the fact that we get to the implication that like, actually maybe you just stole it from, from one of our tombs is like, Oh my God, dude, Gil Galad looking bad. He's getting done dirtier than Isildur is on this show. Um, I love all of this scene. Everything in Linden is like really stunning. We're talking about Numenor. We only get the one big overhead shot of Linden in the dark at night. Mm-hmm. But this like dinner table, this dining oh. room that they have out in the forest with the birch leaves all oh. yellow, it's all like just so perfect. It's so lavish Durin in his like dress clothes. It's like yeah. just resplendent. Uh, talk about a magnificent dwarf like that beard is gulls, right? All, all of this is just so good. And uh, to Taylor's point. Elrond is especially Hugo Weaving's portrayal of Elrond is stoic and somber and mirthless dare I say and and like that's important given his role in the Lord of the Rings but Elrond is like the great friend of men Uh, it's a real like D&D thing here but like Mm. elves in D&D there's all different types and there's like it comes from Tolkien it was all birthed here where like they're the elves of Elrond's ilk that are much more connected to humanity in the modern middle earth age like the third age then the elves of like Lothorian and Galadriels, who are much more like insular and closed off ironically so I love seeing Elrond with like a little bit of joy and levity and like the diplomat the like personable person it really is working for me I don't love the haircuts but otherwise I'm like so sold on these elves yeah
2: uh, listen I am now fine with Elrond concerning that. yet another thing I dislike about Kemen Kevin has this freaking like emo Fallout Boy circa 2012 true. flippy haircut it's that true. feels <laughs> it feels so much more out of place than like the the pompadour that Elrond has in my opinion. Yeah, I have really been enjoying uh, the portrayal of Elrond this this characterization, uh, particularly in the last couple of episodes. I think Robert Aramayo does a really great job of bringing, despite uh you know the choice that Elrond actually made in Lord the humanity. In it, particularly in this episode where it does seem like he's quite literally caught between a rock and a hard place. Uh, where he has this friendship with Dorin. He made this promise to like keep the keep the secret of the mithril, keep it secret, keep it safe. But here comes freaking Gilgalad, his boss, essentially, right? Being like, No, you're gonna have to break, you know, your years-long friendship in order to protect the safety of the realm and of our peoples, which is a hell of a guilt. But it leads to, again, it's been, what, five minutes since we've uh, not praised the visuals. Let's do it again here. I always love this when we do a story within a story in any piece of media. The thing that I always uh, think about is Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, part one, right? The tale of the Deathly Hallows is done in this very distinct animation style. We don't fully get that here, but it is like more abstract, I would say, about the tale of, apparently, Taylor, the origin story of Mithril, (laughs)
3: yeah uh apparently that's a thing which of course was something that i deeply looked into today and was (laughs) trying my best to figure out number one who is this elven figure uh and who is this this balrog which balrog (laughs) is it um but we are in the Misty Mountains, so... Yeah,
2: he could have just been like, I'm going to Kaza Doom and crouching there for a little while. It could, be Dur- <laughs> I mean,
3: it could very well be Durin's Bane. So this was... I really enjoyed it, though. This little, like, tidbit of lore from Elrond. Even if it's not... Uh, well, I guess... I don't know if now it's in canon lore, but it's was really cool. And I loved that little shot that we got of this, like, the creation of Mithril, apparently.
1: The song of the roots of Hithelgleer, recounted mm-hmm. Elrond. It's so good, man. So good. You know, it's just like so of the world. And and the little like stop aside. The visuals are incredible. It's stunning. Uh, nameless elf lord versus uh, anonymous pal rod. I'm here for it. <laughs> I buy it. tickets, I get the pay-per-view. Uh it's really like great as he as he like talks about the whole thing, and we like shift down to the tree, but it just the lightning striking mm-hmm. all of it, uh, the like the power of it all this is weird origin story myth stuff this is uh interestingly as we talked about they can't use the silmarillion materials but it was so silmarillion-esque oh yeah uh, this oh, is the yeah. kind of stuff that's there
2: they literally mentioned the silmarils yes. like they sort of hint that oh yeah maybe it's actually the remnants of the silmarils distilled through this lightning strike
3: mm-hmm
1: I mean, that's explicitly what they're saying, right? That they're like, oh, we think that the tree had the Silmarils in it and the power has been infused in. Where do we get from here with the Mithril, like, I really like this half of the lore that they're presenting. And to Taylor's point, it seems like they're creating for the show. I don't think that this is like pulled from a lot of like actual um, Tolkien lore, but I dig this front end of it. We'll talk about the other half when we get there, but it, it, this is a great little departure, the story in a story.
2: And I do like, in terms of, again, another story within the story, uh, I like the the sort of Song of Ice and Fire quality of it as well, of, like, the yin mm-hmm. and the yang, right? The reason why Mithril is so powerful is because it embodies, like, the power of light, but also just the objective power that lies in darkness simultaneously. And it's only through that sort of balance of opposite elements that you end up getting something that's incredibly powerful. And it's like, ah, I guess... Frodo and Bilbo didn't realize they were wearing like such wildly magical material just over their heart but all the power to them to to get it but Gilgalad is essentially going to use this essentially to say like this is essential because we need to outfit every elf that we can to take on this darkness. Hey, look at this. Look we didn't bring the landscaper by. Things are oozing this icker. Remember back in episode 1, it's getting worse. Now, Rich, something that you have talked about a number of times, especially last episode when we officially confirmed that it was Mithril, was like, if we're looking ahead, there is a lot of Mithril to be found in the Elven lands. So, I mean, we leave things in a bit of a happy medium for Elrond right now, but is this possibly pointing us, are we looking into our own palantir and seeing a bit of a dark future when it comes to where this Mithril ultimately ends up?
1: I had this uh, awesome consideration this week Of like are we going to see like Glamdring and Orcrust get made On this show mm. Ooh, uh, I got like really excited about all the Mithril uh, of old and, and the Swords floating around in the Lord of the Rings They're very cool everything Elrond's Talking about here I mean it seems kind of inevitable as where we end our conclusion with like Elrond and Doran we'll talk about it but it, What he's saying to Gilgalad here is like my favorite stuff Of this show entirely so far It's like the end of this scene is like Gilgalad. It's like we found the tree before Galadriel returned. The light of the Eldar is fading. I'm going to ask you one last time. This is it did they find it right and alron's answer here like i swore an oath to some that may now hold little weight but in my esteem it's by such things that our very souls are bound and i don't intend to let mine slip away on mere hope the whole like exchange and Gilgalad, for as much as we're like beating him up i think that his response here is really pointed and powerful
2: Uh, yeah when all other senses sleep the eye of hope is first to awaken last to shut oh it's so so good. good
1: It's, it's the only light in the darkness here, right? Like Gilgalad's not trying to like do the dwarves dirty. He's not trying to get one over on them. It's this desperation that they have, as he's talking about. If our light goes out, if we retreat now, it is not the death of the elves. It's the death of the world, man. It's darkness. It's Morgoth. Like there's such power here in the conflict that, that Elrond is presented with on the heels of the oath that he made to duran should you betray this oath like let the last of your days in middle earth be filled with sorrow it's like oh dude this hurts it hurts mike it's so good
2: yeah taylor what was your perspective on Gilgalad bringing this all to light and the moral choice that it's going to weigh on elrond before we even get to what he's able to compromise with with duran
3: yeah i love this exchange um elrond like I I was afraid I was like oh is he gonna do it is he gonna do it is he gonna do it and I was like so thankful that he stuck it out and the the line that you said like the you know to his esteem this is like what their our very souls are made of and it's so true right like what are you at the end of the day but like what you hold true to and I I loved it um but I did I did think it was this this whole thing was like kind of funny to me because like Clearly gil knows that like Mithril is a thing and that it's there, but he needs that like extra step from Elrond, um, which I thought was very interesting. So I enjoyed it.
2: Well, I think it's a matter right of again, showing a bit of his cards and maybe a bit of his feelings towards elves of like, I want to make sure if shit goes down, you're on my side yeah. at oh, the yeah. end of the day. Yeah. It's a it's a very shrewd political maneuver, which again, mm-hmm. to the point that Rich has made many times about the history of Gilgalad, does not necessarily seem like a side that we see of him, but perhaps it's something that he feels like he has to do now that he is up there in years, even by elephant standards and in this position of power. You know, maybe this could have been a very different path for Galadriel had she gone more down the Muriel route than the soldier route, that she ends up being somebody who's able to uh, toy with perhaps uh, even his most devoted subjects to get essentially what he wants, even though, as you mentioned, it's already stuff he knows about.
3: Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's so interesting. And I'm very I, I am really intrigued to see where Gil-Galad goes and how this kind of falls out here.
2: So we get one final scene here in Linden as the elves are going to be carrying the stone home. But it's going to be a bit of a bro down here with Elrond and Durin. I gotta say, ugh, I can really be vexed as to like who my favorite character is. Uh, and Galadriel, I love, I love stuff that Hallbrand's doing, but like, Durin is such a go-to guy. Uh, <laughs> to like to go back to the lost of it all, he really is the Hurley of mm-hmm. the Rings of Power, right? Really good comic relief, but like has a surprising amount of heart to him. I absolutely adored Enough with the Quail Sauce. Give me the meat and give it to me raw, which is just as you said, so antithetical so. to Tolkien I'm like, stop writing what everyone was eating, stop writing random songs and poems, just tell me what the hell happened and how long did it take to get there. Uh, and so Elrond is, I don't know, my perspective is that he he told the truth somewhat. That he said essentially the mithril is essential. For my race to survive. And then he goes on this little story about how our bodies will turn to shadows and our hearts will disappear. I don't know. Maybe I was misreading the other scenes before Rich. I didn't exactly think that was what Gilgalad was saying. I think it was more so a general danger to the realm. But if this is a tactic to guilt Doran or to pump him up, and as he's going to vocalize many times, make him the savior of the elves. I guess you could fib a little bit about what happens to elves when they die. Say it again, Mike,
1: whose hands, whose hands. (laughs) It was so good. Right. Who, who and This little smiles uh, with the beard and the hair he really is a heart stealer that mm-hmm. freaking Durin the fourth he uh, that guy man Uh, those dimples I do think that I don't think that Elrond is trying to manipulate Durin here mm. I think that we I, I at least am reading this as like Elrond's genuine interpretation of what's happening Uh, the like blight on the tree and Linden like Linden is like the heart of the Elven realms and Middle earth. So this is a really bad sign. I don't think the tree is a particularly noteworthy, mystical tree, but it certainly is in the heart of the kingdom. And I think that there is this sense of like, no, no, we're really fading. We're dying. And look, the elves are very emo, Mike. They like maybe, maybe he's just overstating it a little bit because that's the kind of language he uses. Cause he is like always going to talk about the, the quail sauce before he gets to the meat. Uh to like cut back, like there was the one scene he has with Caliborn, right? And this, like, more, yeah. oh, why? Why me or cal Brimbor, i'm sorry yeah of like why me you know what about this and i saw your father leave and your mother begged like and he said it's because he's the only one who could do it and so there is this notion that like that's what he's charged with coming into the scene he knows that he's really while duran's the only one who can like talk to duran and maybe change the their plight elrond's the only one who could talk to duran uh and, and I think that he's being really genuine from his own perspective, if a little hyperbolic. Uh, yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, Taylor, what are your thoughts about the, the way we cap off Elrond and Duran as they're on their way back to Kaza Doom now with a proposition for Daddy Duran next episode?
3: Yeah, I think I'm very much online with Rich here of, I don't, I think that Elrond is speaking true to what he believes is the situation. And I also wouldn't put it past Gilgalad to be you know uh making it maybe bigger than it is to to have that from elrond and to have that like fervent belief so that this can work um so yeah i think i'm on the same page
1: my bigger question was about Celebrimbor, who uh, gives Elrond this crazy plant. Here's my nit that I'm picking about all this. I love the first half of like the Mithril creation story, but Celebrimbor being like, we need to saturate every last elf in the light of the Valar. I was like what does that mean dude like that is much different than like this is the strongest metal we could get it we about to fight like an epic war and need it so my question is is kelle the one doing the manipulating here is he the one manipulating elrond to be like no no dude i really need this stuff now that i got this giant forge i just uh, (laughs) thought with like a little bit of a scratch on his neck like it's going to save us all you know i promise
2: It's an interesting point considering what ends up happening to him. It would sort of be like, uh, turnabout is fair play, right? Like, well, you manipulated them to get what you want. Now it's going to bounce back onto you. But that being said, since we know that's going to happen, that feels a little uncharacteristic for me. My perception of Celebrimbor at this point is that he's just very, like, eager, a little maybe too Mm pie-in-the-sky idealistic of, like, I want to build this giant forge. I don't know what I'm making, but it's going to be something pretty big that no one's ever going to be seeing before. And so I think it's just this idea of when he gets this, you know, mythical element placed in front of him. He wants, he, he has a million ideas of what he can do with it.
3: Yeah, I think that Celebrimbor is like, is kind of in line with Elrond in where his belief is so strong that he almost becomes blinded by it. And I think that he's probably maybe even more easily manipulated than Elrond himself is. Um, And we're like, you know, thinking of the future and all the things that could happen. But um, uh, yeah, I think that Celebrimbor, I'm like intrigued to see kind of how he's going to take all of this. But the light, the light of it all. Like the, um, the light of the Silmarils, the light of the, the sort of the two trees of Valinor that were lost. That this was the big distinction between elves for a very long time was the elves that saw the light of the trees and the elves that didn't. And I think that like this, the light of it all is so important. So I think that, yeah, he believes this so deeply and he's going to be blinded by his like want to do these things.
1: I do think it's a good point. He could be more easily manipulated because he's got some much more obvious levers to like grab onto and manipulate him. Yeah, I know, yep.
2: yeah he's a very supple metal that you can easily bend to your will. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> light as silk. Let's go from the possible light of the Valar to a growing darkness, as Adar will put. I want to stop by in the Southlands as we begin to experience a bit of a split amongst the men that are currently there so we mentioned it beforehand but Bronwyn ends up having a bit of her Muriel moment and it is quite literally a fleeting moment uh, where she gives this big rah-rah speech of like hey they're coming here to get something from us we're gonna fight back we're gonna show them you know what our ancestors were able to do and Waldrags like Well, uh, our ancestors were able to live through this by being craven, so I say we join them because Sauron is pretty darn great. Rich, we had this guy pegged from the moment he wasn't wearing a shirt in his own frickin' bar. This dude is (laughs) trouble.
1: I quietly love that this guy has emerged as like a relevant <laughs> character. It's really wild. It's not what I would have guessed in episode one. So th- the Bronwyn speech is so great. Uh, I've been watching a lot of TV this week and a couple of like notable characters on new premiered shows gave terrible speeches. So this one really resonated with me. I'm like, what a great speech. Also huge Aowen vibes, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I am not the King you have awaited, right? I love this. It was a little bit of like a pivot on the, I am no man that I thought was, very fun uh waldrick being like hey abandon your mother and come with me to swear fealty to the dark lord with young theo i was like buddy this one's a reach like you need to give him something more than like a half a flask of old grog and like this broken hilt you want to like get this kid to abandon his mom Uh, i i love like where we're stopping in a it's very cool bronwyn is cool
2: yeah, Taylor, give me your thoughts about. I know it's a loaded question to ask about the Southlands because it includes like <laughs> Bronwyn, Theo, Arondir, Adar, <laughs> etc. But what have been your thoughts about the way this story has been going so far?
3: So to begin with, I was a little hesitant. I was kind of like, "Oh, like Arondir and Bronwyn, like romance." Blah. And, I, and I was like, <laughs> "I was out on you in the beginning." But quickly, I've come around to it because, like, they do have this connection but we're not getting it shoved in our faces, which yes. I really appreciate. Um, and it's just these subtle moments of them and a deer, like being able to open up to her to begin with um, and talk to her about how he's feeling. And obviously he was captured by Adar and like saw what was happening. Um, so I am really enjoying it despite the darkness of it all. i um, I'm, so intrigued by a lot of these characters when initially I was kind of out on it.
2: That's interesting because like I I'm almost in opposition when it comes to a rondier and Bronwyn where I liked how they stated their relationship in the beginning. Now I feel like they're always talking about other things uh that sometimes I kind of want them to be like talking about each other and stop down and be like can we talk about us for a second like <laughs> what's what's going on there I, I do agree conversation.
3: That, yeah what I do agree we? that
2: I, I think there is subtleties uh put in, Yeah, can we put labels on this right now in the middle of our dark war <laughs> uh, but I I think it's a, it's a good point in that it doesn't need to be explicitly said I do kind of wish it was a bit more explicit because I think this diamonds are made under pressure and I think it'd be interesting to see in the pressure of these trying times like how does that inform the way they interact with each other we saw a skosh of it in this episode right with like her being so insistent to bend the knee and him being so insistent of like I'm here for you uh this sort of bears out in his conversation with Theo as well but yeah at least in this moment a big crowd is going to take an exodus out of the watchtower what I really liked about Waldrag as well is that he sort of represents a larger theme of the show, right? Which is, will you always use past precedent as a determiner of the future, right? This idea of, well, it happened before, therefore it needs to keep happening. And Rich, this is something that you and I spoke about on previous podcasts, right? This idea of sometimes when you realize the trees roots are rotten, it's best to just cleave the whole thing off, you know, have a uh, chop at it over and over and over again <laughs> until it ends up falling over uh, as opposed to like continuing to let it fester, and continuing to have uh, the shit flow downstream in a manner of speaking. And so to have Waldrag essentially be like, well, we should keep doing what everyone else was doing and let the orcs run around the land. It's like, well, you had that problem beforehand for a reason. Do you really want that problem again?
1: Yeah, it's really, uh, it's a great point, the way that it echoes this whole fear that we're seeing in Halbrand articulated, right, that like, no, no, we are the same and that he's going to do the same thing. I love it on the just the simple, relatable basis of like all it takes for evil to prevail. Right. Um, Mm. and, And this path of least resistance, like many of us will die if you're going to stand and fight here, right? We're going to stand and fight in this ruined fortress against orcs. Like we're farmers with pitchforks. It's such the quintessential kind of like fantasy epic battle. It's got that Helm's deep, like we will die here energy, but like, at least we can like make a name. We will like die. Heroes will die together fighting for the side of right. And Waldron being like, yeah, I don't want to die. Like I'm, I'm going to do what I need to do to live. And it's very much what Hal brand was saying right of like you don't know what I had to do to survive what we all had to do to survive and ultimately the the ability to become accepting tolerant of these evils when they are being dealt to others and not you just Mm -hmm. to like preserve it ties on to what Elrond is talking about with vows right I mean it's the slow erosion as the shit flows downhill Mike of like if our word means nothing if our vows hold no weight then like what have we to stand on what are the promises we make to one another the way that that kind of like degrades to the point of like yeah once you kneel once you serve to what Aaron Deer is like going to say to Bronwyn later you will undo the efforts of like ages of generations that have come after those right
2: yeah so this group is going to head off to the town where all the orcs are gathering and this is an interesting pin to put in some theorizing, Taylor, right? Waldrag's going to make a big spectacle and take the knee and say, I pledge my loyalty to you, Sauron. And Adar does not respond one way, way or another. He body slams Waldrag, which he does humorously respond with like, uh, fine, I don't know, whoever you are, I'll, I'll <laughs> bend the knee to you as well. Uh, and so he is given his first test yes to kill r.i.p. poor little rowan the gawky friend of theo who went with them on all those hapless missions but what have been your thoughts about adar is this to you like confirmed not sauron is this him saying like well i didn't technically say that i wasn't (laughs) sauron where do you stand on all this
3: so i'm like at 95 percent. this is sauron i'm like I'm pretty sure this guy is Sauron, but there's like, this almost secured it more for me because Sauron is a master deceiver. He is the most charismatic. He is in front of a crowd when he does these things. And I think that he is fully aware of that and is making specific choices with the orcs of it all. I think that he is in a disguise right now because there was a period of time where he came to the orcs, but he was elven and mm. they shunned him. So I think that this is him in a form that they will accept more and he's getting them to the point where he is their master. So that, that that's my take. I'm I, Like I said, I'm 95%. I will happily be wrong, but I'm pretty sure this is our Sauron.
2: Rich, you moved one way or the other after this week?
1: I still really want uh, the stranger with the Harfoots to be Sauron, but I don't believe that he is. (laughs) Uh, Am I going to ask a crazy thing? So we saw these three individuals this episode. That's Sauron, right? That's got to be Sauron.
2: So that was was the one that people really speculated when we saw the photos. I think that the first glimpse came from San Diego Comic-Con. People, that one hooded figure who approached the meteor site closest, people thought that they were Sauron. No clue. I have not. I painted- think that
1: that's Sauron. I think that Adar is like double bluffing, and that we think he's Sauron, and he's saying he's not Sauron, so we think he's Sauron even more, Taylor, because he's such a deceiver. But that he's not Sauron. It's this strange uh blue-eyed, creepy-looking <laughs> dude uh with those other two sitting at the Cataclysm site. I did love the Adar stuff. The all of the like the Adar stuff with the Orcs. This episode is like just excellent, right? I mean, the mm-hmm. stuff with Waldrick here, what he does of like yeah kill the kid only blood can bind like it's really great uh and we have that other scene that we got with him with the orc which i just found like riveting right yeah there's so this idea
2: compelling. of like oh i love the sun it's a shame i won't see it anymore when my master comes and darkness overtakes the land once more
1: and he's like slow monologuing while smoke rolls up in front of the camera because the orc's flesh is still just burning in the sunlight right Uh, i like love that touch i don't think that it's sauron i'm like just like taylor fully and happily prepared to be proven wrong when it is sauron and she's right but i don't think it is anymore i'm convinced that um this guy is too overtly evil and it's the inversion of the aragorn like uh feels too foul like looks too fair something like that
2: yeah i'll split the difference from a dna perspective could this be sauron's son
3: (laughs) Ooh,
2: interesting. Greetings, I am
1: Adar Sauron's son.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I am
3: Sauron's son, but I will call myself father. Uh, yeah, yeah. Exactly. exactly. I don't have
2: one anymore. He's <laughs> off trying to make Morgoth take over the world again. He can't call me or anything.
3: So I do want to stop down and talk about the this, this robed figure. Yeah, let's um, do it. So we have some confirmation. So um, she is played by... Uh, I'm going to pronounce it wrong, probably Britty S- Sisson. I'm, I, my pronunciation is crazy. And they have three names that we get in the credits. Mm. We have um, this interesting trio of people, the Dweller, the Ascetic, and the Nomad. And I don't know about any of these people. I have my theories that these are, um, the, the the theory that I was kind of seeing that i'm thinking myself is that they are from the east that these are three Mm. individuals from that are easterlings that are coming from rune um and who were like original enemies of the free peoples and like from the morgoth battle era but the the following of this stranger um and the like the mayar and the wizard of it all i'm so intrigued because i have no clue who these people are
2: yeah and i was trying to like look at the iconography on the staff that Mm -hmm. uh the the individual was wielding and like i don't know i couldn't really recognize anything rich any percolating thoughts about this trio
1: I really don't know what to think. I I very much probably am being accepted by all of like the little bit of rather, I should say, of like the promotional press that I saw, because like the second I saw the face, I'm like, oh, that's Sauron, right? Like this has got to be Sauron. It's overtly, it's very like uh, beautiful, eerie, otherworldly, uh, different. It's kind of, uh, they seem like a kind of non-binary. It doesn't seem like a very, I, I may be like really stepping out of line here, but it felt kind of genderless, right? And like, I was just like, ooh, and and the like way that we transition into there i think a lot of the transitions have been telling i think some of them are intentionally misleading as we cut from like tar palantir to the old man stranger with the hobbits and like we cut from the old man stranger to the fire crater to this like it feels so connected uh, mm-hmm. to to the myar and all of that that i'm just like i don't know it's got to be right it's got to be uh but what do i know it's very fun to think about
2: it it's is. interesting though because because they're at the site of the meteor and we don't know how long this was since the stranger ended up you know landing. Could this be like they're almost investigators perhaps and they're they've been sent to like check out exactly what happened and they just got to the site too late that he went off with a bunch of little harfoots instead of saying put. Uh, in this, like, E.T. comparison with the whole Stranger story, are they sort of the government agency that's trying to <laughs> capture him? That's where I'm leaning right now. I have to imagine they're going to play a larger role in the next three episodes. Are they even going to freaking talk? Who the hell knows?
3: They seem very, like, religious as well, especially, like, um, the ascetic. I'm probably pronouncing that wrong as well. But, like, the, the naming of these three I, I my original instinct was that even though that like even the music like right it felt creepy it felt scary like these individuals did not seem cool I was like I mean are these just like my are that are like in that are like investigating this and wondering where like you know one of them went and why what's like what's going on in Middle Earth but um, yeah I think I'm leaning more that these are like these are old, like, religious figures and are, like, more goth people. Um, mm. But I have no clue. I'm so... I, I'm happy to see wherever this ends up.
1: Can I ask a question? Would we rather just know who these people are? Or are we getting mileage out of, like, who is this? Who is that? Who are these unidentifiable characters? I know it's become a bit of, a, like, a meme for Rings of Power of, like, that is Sauron, that is Sauron.
2: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. For me, I'm not necessarily watching this type of stuff for the mysteries. It's why yes. I never really was like, I don't get into the the land of middle earth as a mystery series. Uh, this is not like Agatha Christie and the Hobbits. Uh, this is Lord <laughs> of the Rings. And so I am more fine with, again, the journey than the destination when it comes to the stuff like the stranger stuff is intriguing. And I would say that not knowing who the stranger is, doesn't take me out of it at all. Cause if I'm just imagining even as like some sort of regular degular sky man, there's still some intrigue in there. I'd be fine if they outright said who they were and what they were there to do. I don't necessarily need the, oh man, who could this be thing keeping me watching week to week because I'm watching week to week no matter what. Yep.
3: Yeah, I think I'm in the camp of, um, I-, I would love to know who these people are, but I am having fun as a person who really delves into the lore of like theory crafting and wondering who these people are. And I do think the reveal or at least my hope is that they're going to be really cool and that hopefully these people uh, live up to kind of what we keep being shown of them.
1: So, yeah, I think it's interesting. I don't mean to, like, inherently load it as a negative, right? I Do you think yeah. that, like, The Stranger is the most earned one of those stories where, like... We saw this person fall out of the stars and they're like, just have no sense of identity. Right. But I would love some clarity for Mm -hmm. some of these others. It's not bothering me yet, but I have a little bit of trepidation Taylor of like, the, when they are revealed to be who they are, how big can we get? We're talking about a lot of kind of unknown people here and there's only so many like giant names, uh, that we can throw out. Right. So I'm really just curious and wondering how the audience feels about this questioning aspect. yeah.
3: Yeah. I certainly think we could use more clarity. I don't think we need as much mystery as we're getting for sure. Like, especially in the Sauron department, um, like, it is it is very fun and laughable. Like how, that's Sauron, that's Sauron, no, that's Sauron. Like, it's great. But I, like some clarity would be would be nice at this point, I think. Especially since we're on episode five now.
2: Well, speaking of relationships and the clarity brought to them, Deer and Theo are really going to have like their first major scene ever, right? Where Theo, yeah, did not accept the one drink of Grog as a as a letter to go ditch his mother and join up with these evil people. He's staying behind, though. I think him and his mother both share the same opinion of, like, this is hopeless. He also has a little bit of derision, though, for Deer right? He basically says, like, you elves have been watching us our entire lives, listening to our whispers, counting our knives. Why are you here right now? And Deer vocalizes what we found out about him in that very first episode, right? Which is, like, he gained an affection for these people after watching over them for so many years. Theo is warmed by that enough to say hey, here's this like evil sword that I've been holding on to since the very beginning. You think there's something up with this? And indeed there is. This is the moment that Taylor mentioned before, where uh, Arondir is going to uncover the statue of the sword that is within the watchtower and vocalizes to Bronwyn that, according to what he knows, this hilt is some sort of key that was previously created to enslave the previous ancestors of man. And essentially, this is the beacon, right? This is the reason why Adar is targeting them and is coming to probably wipe them all out in the Watchtower next
3: episode. Yeah, the, we had some interesting, like, name drops, too. Like, uh, obviously, like, we, we've we gotten uh, the Orodruin name drop. And, like, we, I think we're approaching... I mean, we're clearly approaching some serious stuff, but uh, and I'm I won't say anymore. But like, I was listening to the soundtrack, uh, for the show today at, because of this, this these songs that we got in this episode, um, and I am so curious to see where we end up. Uh, but yeah, I uh, I'm really interested. I also don't know about you guys, but the minute that Theo was like. There's something I haven't told you. I was like, are we gonna get like an ear? Yeah, he's gonna, he's gonna cut <laughs> his hair. Like, I
2: finally got a haircut. I'm your son. Though, Arandir should have maybe been included to that at some
1: point. <laughs> can we talk about this? Can we stop down to talk about yeah. this? Because, I mean, Arandir has to know if there's potential that this kid is his son, right? You he can would do, have can to do know could do math, that. yeah. <laughs>
2: like if yeah. Bronwyn was clearly showing at some point, he's like, let me count back. <laughs> oh, yes, of course
1: so at this point like what I guess I'm asking here's another question for you guys like if we reveal that Theo is half Elvin and that Ron Deer's the father is that going to work for you because I think it's going to bother me like I like what we've got so far I'm not annoyed at anything I like this I really love this scene between the two of them right yeah. of like why would you stay you know uh, half of us just left yeah but half of you stayed including yeah. you the whole change of like what are you doing here trying to teach me how to shoot we're all going to die here and he's like like it took me centuries to find the courage to fight this evil. You found it in 14 years, man. Like I, I just this human elf like inspiration thing. It's so got that Helms deep energy, right? It's really great. But I guess the question is, like, is there a world where like Theo can be a Rondeers kid and it works, or have we have we gone too far?
2: I think what's tough for me is, again, the point that I made before where I have not gotten enough from Deere and Bronwyn's relationship yeah. where that would feel like a natural conclusion. Right? Like, I agree. I yeah. think this scene was essential, and I loved all the stuff that Arondir was telling, all all the quotes that you brought up beforehand. And I also love, he's going to talk about this with Bronwyn as well, that like he truly represents, much like Gilgalad, another Elphilus spouse, right? That the eyes of hope are the first ones to open and the last ones to close. That like your senses may dull you and lead you down a certain path, but sometimes hope is the thing to lead us in and out of danger. But to go to the Theo of it all, if it does get revealed, it just feels like something that wouldn't be supplemented by the episodes that came before it. Now, maybe with them in a much more intimate situation, the three of them will get a bit, a little bit more of like that family aspect to make it more of a natural segue. But at this moment, considering how little, Dear and braun when we had gotten save episodes one and five I, I don't know i don't think i'd feel fantastic about it if it happened like right now
3: yeah i don't think i i kind of hope that it's not a thing but it it was just a funny moment that i had especially after like getting this drop about the elves and how closely that they were watching these humans like no wonder that they feel the way that they do like counting knives and like how sharp they are like Holy moly. But Theo's journey here, I love. And you were talking about it last time, Rich, about when he's in the village and he's, like, scavenging for food and he goes back for the grain when he's running for his life and he goes back for the grain. And I think that, like, this is, like, that moment, right, where he's choosing, like, uh, uh, Waldrag is talking about survival and this is how we survive. Like, there's more... There's more than that. There's more than just surviving. It's about, you know, like taking care of the people that you love. And I do just the a Ron deer and Theo relationship. I think I do love what we're getting. And I don't think that we need a father son reveal. <laughs>
1: I guess i felt like it was building to that here right mm-hmm. like this mm-hmm. is the moment we're about to face like our our gauntlet right with darkness comes the enemy we don't know we shall survive and so if any of us are going to die let's like air it all out right here uh bronwyn i love you to what you're talking about mike like the the bronwyn around your stuff in the beginning gosh i felt it was really powerful and i'm so coming from the camp that taylor articulated of like all i can remember is like uh you know the dwarf and the elf love affair of the hobbit and I'm like, no, 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 nope. no, no. I'm good. I'm <laughs> good. You know? And, and but like went and Iran, Aron, we Iran dear in that first episode where he's like, I've said everything, but the words themselves. I'm like, oh my God, dude, my heart, my heart. I'm like, so there for it. So I felt like we were going to get this, you know, here's the moment that we will, we, the three of us will have an intimate moment. And I just was surprised that they didn't. Uh, i really appreciate that theo's like yo dude i think i have this evil weapon like we talked about it early on mike like this needs to not be a thing that he just hides from his parents Mm -hmm. the whole time it very much felt like another parallel to isildur here right of this kid being like please let me be part of this but he's making good decisions where isildur maybe is making crappy ones right
2: yeah, well, I think it's also maybe different circumstances where, like, he's up against unmistakable evil, sure. and Isildur is like, no, I want to charge headfirst, I need the sense of purpose. Uh, but I think it's, they're they're comparable in the way that they seem a little bit disparate in age, but I think that sense of purpose is an interesting comparison point between them. So, yeah, we leave them in a bit of a perilous place. We mentioned Helm's Deep, yeah, they're sort of standing in the rain, right, waiting for the orcs and the giant battering ram and the one urukai holding the Olympic torch to run through and blow things sky high. I imagine that's where we're going to get, if not next episode, the next time that we see them. Let's finish where we started, and we can sort of do this in one go, because the Harfoot stuff, well, I think, really aesthetically pleasing in the beginning, from like a structural perspective, pretty simplistic, right? They're still on the, the Great Migration to the Grove, I believe is what Nori says they're doing. Uh, they gonna get get beset upon by I don't know if those were wargs or if those were just like general vulpine creatures. Uh, but the stranger is gonna do a nice Hulk s ground pound to send them flying. But then he shows that a uh, you know a knife can cut both ways when it turns out that he's able to maybe accidentally freeze the water. He then freezes Nori, sends her flying back. She is not too happy about it. She realizes that her new friend could be as dangerous to her as he could be to their enemies. So Taylor. We got to bring it to the theory of all theories. In your opinion, who is the stranger?
3: So I keep sort of waffling. In the beginning, I was hopeful that it was. um, uh, I I do think that it's one of our five. um, Istari, these wizards that are sent to Middle Earth. Whether it's Gandalf or Saruman, I'm not sure. But those are the two I'm waffling between. I'm leaning Gandalf just simply because I think that's what, uh, like, they would choose for the show mm-hmm. because of just his reputation and his, you know, obviously his um, story going forward. But. I am fascinated by all these like elemental magics and him just like, you know, stumbling through life, trying to figure out who he is, what he's doing while also like being so in tune with the world around him to the point where he's hurting himself with like his, how his arm like, you know, gets all funky after he does the Hulk smash. Um, And he's hurting Nori, right. Of him kind of, it did give me big Saruman vibes. So I have to say the, uh, the ice of it all gave me like when he's shouting at the mountain um, and Mm. bringing down the snow and ice um, on the fellowship. Uh, But I, I think I'm leaning Gandalf here.
2: Yeah. Rich, anything move the needle for you in terms of the stranger considering the new power set he showcased this episode.
1: It feels a lot like it's got to be Gandalf. And I'm on the record here, right? Like the Harford stuff is working for me the least. I think some part of that is like the Gandalf of it all. There's a little bit. I'm going to mention it just because it's like salient and top of mind. But Andor just released this week on Disney Plus, a new Star Wars series, no spoilers. But a big part of like their angle is that they're avoiding all the fan service and all the stuff Mm. that you often find in a Star Wars. And it's not about Skywalkers and Palpatines and all this kind of stuff. Right. Um, and so gosh. I I don't, this show does not need Gandalf for me to be interested in it. And I get that there's a lot of people out there that will be much more interested if it is Gandalf. So I'm not holding it against them, but I am like, part of me is like, man, you got to let me down like this. Like you bet you could be better than this rings Mm -hmm. of power on Amazon prime. You don't need this, but I do think it feels much more Gandalfian each episode as we go. I'm like finally accepting the big gray drapey tent that he's yeah. been wearing <laughs> since he stumbled into it in episode two. I love him casting thunder wave and kind of like yes! burning his arm and then it seemed to me like he's making the ice to heal himself, right? That's mm-hmm. like a bomb that he's making. Mm. But when he blows, like he, th- there's this explosion and Nori is blasted back there's like a super fast sequence of images right there yeah. that feel a lot like rings and fire and oh my god, trouble you know? Yes. And he has this beat of like, I am the peril no you're not you're good I'm good I'm good and as they're coming in like oh it's not going to get easier in the dark it'll be easier in the darkness so I think they're really showing us he's an altruistic figure which makes me trust him less but I also think they're doing Mm -hmm. a lot of like confusing things on the show in terms of like holding their cards close to the vest and on that note this feels pretty clearly telegraphed to me of like okay I get what you're trying to do here I get it I get it
2: yeah I mean Again, they're doing the E.T., right? They're doing the Harry and the Hendersons, the Iron Giant of, like, oh, a kid befriends this, like, sort of dangerous creature. And initially they get close, but then there's this one thing that happens that makes the kid turn away when they realize that they could get hurt by the creature. But then the kid's going to save the creature at the end of the day. The creature even learns a few words in English uh, to, you know, (laughs) make these very cute lines on the action figure. And we get that here in the form of the stranger, like you said, starting the, the episode by saying, I'm peril and he even learned the word migration. So he <laughs> might have like a full access to the, to, you know, the common tongue by the time the season's over.
1: Can we just call him the creature instead of the stranger?
2: Listen Again, I'm, I'm not mad at it. Uh, Trope <laughs> exist because they're, they're done well, uh, but it yep. is, I think to your point, rich, like fairly easy to map it on where I would, I, I definitely, my money's on Gandalf at this point, because I, I wouldn't imagine them to really, Pull, make that much of a rug pull I think it would probably be a more delicious reveal if it was Saruman because we've talked about this right this idea of like the nicest people creating the worst outcomes just by being exploited for their best qualities but that doesn't feel like the direction they're going in with the Harfoots uh, it seems like they are going for a much more wholesome quality that it's mm-hmm. oh yeah we, we found and we ended up nursing you know the one of the greatest wizards that the land is going to ever see and the reason why he survives is because of the kindness we granted him
1: I do love it. Uh, I'm kind of like curious as to um, the, the resolution that we get with like the end of all of this is Nori being hurt and is afraid and runs away from him. Like there are all these charged things. She's making these excuses. No, no, no. It was an accident. He didn't mean to kill the fireflies. It was an accident. She's telling him it was an accident. And he's the one acknowledging like I am peril. I create death, you know? Uh, And it's a little bit of that, like, can you not, like, see what's right in front of you? Am I reading too far into it, Taylor? Am I looking for an out on the Gandalf situation?
3: I mean, gosh, I mean, I would love for it to be a different wizard at the very least, Um, but I do, like, he does, after he says, like, I am peril, like, I, you know, make things dead, like, he does say, like, I am good and i think that he is like it i don't know i i am high on the harfoot stuff i totally mm-hmm. get why like it's not but um i love this like this this trope i love lord of the rings is is trope it is yeah. like the classic oh, yeah. Stuff, Everything
1: right. was built on top of it. Everything in the genre that's come since comes from here, right?
3: Exactly.
1: Actually, Sauron's probably with the Harvets though. I think it might be Marva. <laughs> Am I crazy, Mike? But Marva's pretty cruel.
2: Oh, Marva. Oh Marva kind of sucks. Yeah. Uh, well, I want to the
3: wheels and leave them behind. <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, again, I think she's very much. I mean, you talked about this a few episodes, Rich, uh, when we were going through the in memoriam of like, man, for being so communal and saying nobody gets left behind, a lot of people get left behind and end up dying. <laughs> yeah. uh, but she also like sort of gets uh, her lesson. Right. I think she got served a slice of humble pie where it's like, oh, wait, this big guy can defend us from these monsters. Okay, we could keep them, but I will say, mark my words, the next time we see the Harfoots, what's going to happen is, so now Nori turned him away, so now they're on their own, they're all making the march, the stranger has been, like, quote-unquote, exiled, even though he's probably still following them. They get beset upon by some sort of hazard, whether they sink into quicksand or more wolves come, and the stranger comes in to rescue them. We've seen this before. It's going to happen. Mark my words, episode six, seven, eight, whatever you want to be, that's what happens the next time we see the Harfoots. Mm-hmm. There were some stunning shots here. Uh, the shot of like the moon and the stuff. Oh with him, my like, god! Up in the sky was yeah. Like the shot, so powerful, right? The shot of him standing out on the cliff like freaking Jack Skellington uh, <laughs> looking up at the moon, yes. and it, and especially because it was timed with the end of the song as well. Like mm-hmm. I thought it was beautiful to to like like I will go so far as to say that it was stunning. Between the perspective of him standing there, the the blackness with the dotting of the night sky, the giantness of the moon, like everything worked incredibly well and that's why it worked even better when it cuts from that moon to the image of the stranger you know found inside the crater too of this like reminder almost of where he came from and what he possesses uh outside of just like this very placid nature-based uh you know environment we find him in i i thought it was really a perfect way to end a perfect sequence
1: I love the wide shots on the chase too in that forest everything about the like twisted pine forest was great but the wide shot and like the slow warg penetrates the shield or whatever that was really good man that like uh nice touches I really I know I've been nitpicking part of it is just for the fun of the podcast you guys don't come <laughs> for my wigs Uh I, I don't hate the horror foots, by any means mm-hmm. just like so far and away the least engaging of these stories to me the other ones I'm like so into and I'm a pretentious fantasy nerd who wants to see. Numenor and (laughs) epic things and lots of like Tolkien-esque language Uh, so I'm like enjoying it I did love like a lot of the stuff that we got while I did not like the song I loved what was happening during the song the montages the beats we see them covering ground which is awesome because it conveys time which is an issue that's happening on another fantasy show we've been talking about a lot lately how do you communicate the movement of time to your audience it conveys distance And then the individual shots were like stunning, man. This is another one where I was like, oh yeah, that's a half a billion dollars. It's like all (laughs) these landscapes again and again. They're so beautiful, right? Um, It was really captivating. Uh, I I enjoyed like a a good bit of what we got here, except the singing.
2: Taylor, (laughs) any final thoughts about episode five of the Rings of Power or the series in general that you want to talk about?
3: Yeah, I'm I'm in love with it. I I said it in the beginning, just in that first, those first when those first couple episodes dropped. Like uh, Middle Earth, we we talked about it um, kind of right. It is the foundation for so many things. And every time somebody's like, "What's what's your favorite like book series?" What's your favorite? This Lord of the Rings is the shelf upon which everything that I love sits. Yeah, Um, and just coming home to. To Middle Earth and seeing Numenor and seeing all these just gorgeous landscapes and vistas, and I love the Harfoots. This was like far and away like the best beginning to like an episode of the season, like easily. I agree. Um, the song I will be singing on repeat for uh, the next few months probably. Um, I I'm in love, and I I I don't mean to be the person that's just like gushing, but. I'm happy as a person who is just so invested in Lord of the Rings and yeah I, I want to like just the, the positivity is what like I like the world needs right now it's like this love this like hope this light versus dark I'm in love.
1: Hope is never mere, Taylor. It's never mere.
2: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, I, I wrote this in the Discord chat, and I especially felt it after this episode, that this does feel like television panacea to me, where even the darkest stuff, right, where like, Waldreg kills a kid <laughs> off screen, compared to the other stuff that we are talking about <laughs> in other fantasy shows that are currently on, like, this is child's play. And I think, Mm -hmm. by and large, so much of it is so based in that hope that you just mentioned, so much based in this idea of looking at the light through the darkness and powering through. I mean, it's essentially Samwise Gamgee's speech from the end of the Two Towers, right, represented in a show. And not only is that something that I I absolutely love and vibe with just from a personal perspective, I do feel like it, it helps contest maybe some of the other things out there in the tv landscape which do go for the more darker more realistic stuff which certainly has its place as well but variety is the spice of life and i'm happy to have this variety in my life rich any final thoughts about episode five from your perspective
1: uh yeah just one little thing that i forgot to mention i thought it was interesting the ice the ice healing i feel like we've gotten a lot of weird themes with ice of like galadriel in the north this is where sauron retreated the ice with the palantir in numenor and so the ice being this thing that that the stranger that the creature is using to to heal himself and then like throwing poppy away and that whole little montage felt like pointed to me i'm really taken with the show uh i'll like echo just both of what you guys are saying it's really feel good tv you know like part of what i'm getting from a lot of the folks that i'm talking about uh who are watching is like oh it's moving slow i don't know if i'm following i think after this episode it's pretty clear that where we're going what the directions are for all of these separate stories but um I think it really, like, is activated as we're at this, like, episode five going into six. We're at the spot where it's really kinetic. We have a lot of forward energy. I can't wait to see how it all resolves. And forget, like, just compared to other fantasy TV, compared to real life, like, this feels Mm -hmm. good. It's the kind of show that, like... It, I tend to watch it just once and like not even try to think too deeply about it. Cause it just feels that good to like, let it wash over you, you mm-hmm. know, uh, that like opening credits place. And I'm like, okay, middle earth, it is transportive. And I love it for that. I love that. while I don't love everything about the show and I will complain about the things I don't, that it's like mostly making me very happy. Uh, and And it's playing with like, A property that i care so much about i could be really salty about this one you know so it's an overwhelming success in my mind and it's been a delight to get to talk about it every week with you
2: couldn't agree more well we're about to be transported out of your ears uh, before we get to next week's episode of the rings of power but first we gotta do our usual round of plugs taylor this was absolutely delightful your love and passion for metal earth comes out with like every syllable you speak into the microphone as well as the ones that you type in on the discord so i was so happy to get the opportunity to talk with you to get your thoughts about another tolkien adaptation and especially to hear how much it has exceeded your expectations considering how lofty they were to begin with i think that is the highest amount of praise for the show
3: yeah gosh thank you guys for having me on here to talk about this i mean Going from a little kid who was just in love and was, you know, would spend hours and hours watching the movies over and over again, only the extended editions and the the costuming, the just all of it to be here in 2022, like talking about an Amazon Lord of the Rings show is wild and I'm loving it.
2: So is there anything you'd like to plug out there for anyone who may be listening, either social media, streams, podcasts,
3: etc.? So uh, I'm rania422 on Twitter. Feel free to hit me up, whatever. Um, And I'm sure Rich will mention it, but I play a ton of Dungeons and Dragons, among other things. And I can be found on twitch.tv slash DM Philly playing a couple of games over there. But yeah,
2: this is great. Amazing. Well, Rich, she stole one of your plugs, but you have (laughs) many, many more because as you mentioned, your, uh, your TV queue is hopping at the moment. What stuff both old and new do you have going on?
1: Yeah, it's been a great week. Come check us out playing D&D. Taylor plays with me in pretty much all my games with a bunch of other post-show recaps regulars and or Uh, Is over, but we're just getting started, Mike Uh, We missed you on the podcast this week But the first three episodes are out They are as good as your friends Are telling you they are, you guys They're very good Uh, I was really taken with them Latanya And Brendan Fitzpatrick and I all sat down This week and talked about it, that's been a blast And uh, House of the Dragon We're covering the book club Uh, We sat down, we had Mari Forth on With Taryn and I this week It was a delight to get her perspective And hear about her fandom of Game of Thrones very similarly to taylor talking about the lord of the rings it's great to connect with people who are so passionate about these things you love that's pretty much it you can find me on twitter at dm philly my dms are open if you want to hit me up about anything
2: and of course i can be found at a mike bloom type uh did a little bit of a switcheroo with house of the dragon this week myself and josh wiggler i went on the versus podcast with the aforementioned Latanya stark comparing episode five of house of the dragon with game of thrones alarmingly similar In some way. So it was very fun to compare that DNA. I'll be back this coming weekend covering episode six, our first major time jump episode with uh, Grace and special guest. I believe Joe Garfine is going to join us to give her thoughts on House of the Dragon. Should be very fun. Josh and I started our next phase of Down the Hatch coming out this Sunday, episode one of Heroes. We had a ball watching it and even more fun recapping it. We are covering Heroes, in case you don't know that. Uh, Josh and I are going back and, and watching the first season for some demented reason. Uh, so if you're interested in that, be sure to check that out. And then over on the reality TV side of things for me, that is where it has absolutely shot off like a bunch of ships from Numenor. Of course, the premieres of Survivor, The Amazing Race. I'm doing podcasts and active press for that. Big brother is concluding this site. I'll be doing a bunch of exit press for that. So if you're into reality TV and you want to write, read, write, listen to all the stuff that's going on with that, feel free to check me out again at a Mike Bloom type. And of course you can check out at post show recaps to check out not only the things that we're up to, but as Rich said, all the other things that are happening across the network. So that's going to do it for this week's episode of the rings of power. Next week, Episode 6, the anti-penultimate episode of the Rings of Power already. What will happen? Will Muriel's crew arrive on Middle-earth immediately? Will we have another Adrift-esque episode at sea? Uh, or will the orcs already befall the Watchtower? And how will they, our heroes defend ourselves from there? And uh, will the Harfoots keep being on the move? And what's going on with this mystery trinity? Hopefully these questions and more will be answered next week as Rich and myself will be covering it all. Thank you all so much for listening, Taylor. Again, thank you for your appearance and fantastic work. We'll talk to you all next week for Episode 6 of The Rings of Power. Until then, take care. Bye-bye.
0: It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash.